There was a time before when we were still afraid of the dark. Then came the first spark of fiery birth. It totally rocked. Sentinels crashing down out of the blue, creating a kingdom of red hue. Now there's only Light starts to dim, awaken again. The slumbering ones. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode forty-five. <laughs> hey, welcome. So no, it's, it's going awesome. Keep keep it going. <laughs> it is. It's really good. It's just like every intro it goes super well. This is uh, Flooping the Pig. I'm Brad Garoon with Justin Houston and Kevin Ford. Happy 2015. Um, we're going to try out a new format this week because we don't have enough episodes that are new to do four episode floops anymore. So, um, how about we'll talk about two episodes today and then we'll, we'll talk about a comic book, the Adventure Time comic book specifically. Justin, Finn hurt his tooth. He's got to go dentist. Tell us about dentist. Yes, dentist. And just so everyone knows, dentist is sort of used, uh, as its own plural, like geese. Or horseback riding. That doesn't make sense. But that's how I described it in my head. Anyway, uh, his tooth is hurt, and Jake is in his mouth, and Finn doesn't want to go dentist. But everyone tells him, including Princess Bubblegum, you got to go dentist. And he says, yeah, but they they throw you in, a, like, a hole with uh, old butter and snakes, I think is what they say. And he says, no, nah, it's not that bad, because you think he's it's just sort of like, uh, Finn's saying something goofy. That's literally what they do. They stuff him down a well with old butter and snakes, and they throw his memory as the new sword uh, that he got from the paradox that was created uh, with the whole Prismo biz. So that it lands in the hole with him, and he falls through, and it's ants. It's just it's lots of ants, and this one ant kind of badgers him, and uh, I don't really remember what he says, but he badgers him for a little while. And doesn't like that um, Finn doesn't really understand, so he sends him to this lady's office. Finn goes into her office, and she um, is adorable, first of all. And she kind of uh, lets lets him know what's going on. They're going to fix his teeth in exchange for him battling uh, the flies. Now, the flies, he's not actually battling the flies, because the flies have worms. And worms work for the flies. Um, and so he's really got to battle these worms because they're like up in their biz. There's some sort of ant fly war. It's amazing and very, very, very strange. Um, and Finn's just kind of going with it and, and, uh, doing the best he can because he really just, he just keeps saying, my tooth hurts. He really just wants his tooth fixed. Um, so in the end, the lady says, uh, and in the end, you're going to, you can't tell anyone about this because that's the way it works, I guess. I forget why. And so she has to assign him a partner. And she kind of looking at names, and she comes upon Tiffany, who we know from several episodes from when um, we first met him when uh, Jake tried to make Finn jealous and uh, got Tiffany, and uh, Finn spat on him. 
And then we saw him again, uh, and found out he was an old cohort during, uh, um, Jake's thieving days. And, uh, they were really tight, or they used to be. And, uh, and Tiffany kind of helped him. Uh, they helped steal the Baker's shard. It turned out to be like a double cross scenario with Jake's daughter. And, uh, so that happened. But he still's never liked Finn. Always and forever, never liking Finn. So now they got to work together and they meet in the mess hall and Tiffany's just a real jerk and says that, uh, that he's going to kill. Tiffany's a boy, right? Yes. I don't know why I needed that right now, but I totally did. All right. So, uh, he says he's going to kill Finn and he speaks prophetically again and sort of abstractly that, uh, in the future he's going to, you know, squish him out and he, you know, sort of illustrates this by smashing his peaches. In the mess hall to eat, all they really have is, like, stuff that hurt your teeth. So I don't know if that's, like, a dick move on the ant's part or if that's just what they consume. Because he asked one of the cooks, is this all you have? And he seemed to, like, have, like, a sugar seizure. So I'm going to take that as a, yeah, that's all they have. Um, maybe it's just, like, uh, Princess Bubblegum's, like, the runoff from the, the Candy Kingdom. Like, that's what they feast on. That'd be weird, though. Anyway, so... Um, after the mess hall thing where he says he's going to kill him and sleep with one eye open and stuff, um, the next day they make their way into these cavern or to these like holes and, um, they're going to fight, uh, these worm things. And Tiffany kind of goes to attack him again. And he's like, uh, you know, why are you doing this? Like, this is not the time to be doing this. We have to team up. We have to fight together. You know, we're, we're not that far apart. And Tiffany sets him straight and says, you know, we're basically says we're opposites. Okay. Here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to kill you and Jake is going to mourn you and he's going to cry on my shoulder. I'm going to get him back into crime and we're going to like take over this town. We're going to, he makes it very clear. He's going to rob banks, not like steal money from banks. He's literally going to steal the buildings with a giant Jake. Um, and that, cause that's how Tiffany feels that it should have been all along. Until Finn got in the way, um, and so he says something disparaging to Finn. And then Finn looks in his sword and doesn't really know what to do with himself. And there's another Finn inside the sort of circular part of the sword, because um, that is Finn. Remember the sword? It's the Finn sword. The sword is Finn. And he says, hey, man, you're Finn Mertens, and uh, you know tries to cheer him up. So that was strange. And, and they didn't go back to that. So, uh, anyway, the, the worms show up and they fight pretty, they actually fight okay together at first. And then, uh, Finn convinces them that they can work together. And then they're like, they're a killing machine. Like they work together as good as Finn and Jake do, really. Um, and so they dispatch them pretty good until like the, the queen shows up and she's that sort of like, uh, she kind of looks like uh, – it's kind of a Sarlacc pit situation from Star Wars. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, near the beginning where they're on Tatooine and they're going to throw them all in like a, like a pit. It's kind of like that. Um, it's more like – it like physically looks like the thing from Empire Strikes Back where they're on that uh, asteroid. And it like, re- like comes out of, the, out of the asteroid when they realize that they're in, a, in its mouth. But uh, anyway, it's more of a Sarlacc situation. Anyway, so Finn's going to fall in. And, uh, he wants Tiffany's help and Tiffany is going to pulls out his dagger to kill him. And he tries to convince him that, you know, this is not what he's supposed to do. They work well together. They should, 
you know, be friends. And Tiffany says, you're right. I realize I can't kill you, but I can't save you either. I just can't. And so Finn falls, lands in the mouth of the, the mother. She chokes, spits him out. He bonks his head on the, like the, the roof of the cavern, shattering all his teeth. And he falls and like a chunk breaks off and Tiffany falls in her mouth and is like swallowed up. So he wakes up and the ants are all in his mouth and he's having surgery to like get, it's not even all his teeth. They're just replacing the broken ones. They're not, he still like has gaps in his teeth, uh, or like gaps where his teeth are missing. Um, so they all crawl out of his mouth and he's got a new set of chompers. Uh, but he finds out that, um, she choked and died on Tiffany, but that Tiffany is uh, still at large, or, or is his fate is undetermined, which makes Finn sad. Um, so anyway, and uh, he so he goes back up to the surface through the the butter and snakes, and he gets there, and they're waiting with like cake. It may be his, I don't think it's his birthday. I think they're just waiting with cake, and so he tries to describe it, and of course he's not allowed to. Uh, that was that was the coda because they're I forgot. Forgot to say why, but because there are fly spies everywhere. Because uh, again, this is all about flies versus the ants. So they all shush him every time he starts talking about it. He's like, "You all knew what was down there. Why didn't you?" And he's like, bah, 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 like trying to get him to be quiet. And sure enough, like right over near him is a little fly detective-looking dude, fly spy, and this sort of surprises and embarrasses him slightly. Uh, this was a super weird episode. Uh, but I, I thought it was really fun and it had some good action and, and it was nice to see Tiffany again. Kevin, what did you think of it? I too enjoyed it. I can appreciate Adventure Time being weird for the sake of being weird. And I think <laughs> repurposing what going to dentists means in their universe is appropriately weird for that show. I liked the bringing back of Tiffany. I like that. There was some growth in the character, but at the end of the day, he's still the enemy of Finn. And uh, I don't know why, but the fly spy stuff I found really amusing. It was a strange episode, but very fun. Yeah, I loved it. In fact, the um, the only thing that I thought wasn't perfect about this episode was I thought the fly spies joke. I don't know. It, it just didn't land, but that's such a minor complaint because I loved how the ant worm conflict reminded me of kind of of Starship Troopers with that same militaristic vibe for the good guys and barbaric vibe for the bad guys. I loved, Kevin, like you said, the go to dentist, or go dentist biz, that being a whole different thing, being very funny. Tiffany coming back was great. I like that after being zapped into the sword, Finn now knows what his last name is because we've only seen Finn referred to as Finn Mertens in Farm World but obviously he got a bit more information since getting zapped into this sword dimension. Unless, do you guys remember, did Finn's dad ever say his name was Martin Mertens? No, we did because we thought it was funny, but right. I think he just said Martin. Okay, good. And then that, I actually want to, don't let me forget because something happens in Cooler that makes me want to talk about that. Oh, but we also got Tiffany's last name here. Tiffany Euler, I think his last yeah. name was. Yeah, and that was kind of an unusual choice, but uh, yeah. yeah interesting. So I thought that was cool. I like that Tiffany had no teeth because of the Baker shard, which is nice continuity. And I just thought this episode was really funny. Yeah, good stuff all around. I really enjoyed it. Lots of little Finn comments, too. Like when he's trying to follow things, 
and she's explaining yeah. like, now you're the worms. He's like, worms. Right. And, Door. Uh, Ants. Yeah. And then at the end, he's like, me. My tooth. <laughs> yeah. My tooth hurts a lot. Yeah. But I like that. Hey, me. The me was good because me. Yes, you. Who else would it be? <laughs> yeah. I also thought it was interesting and, inter- and weird timing, just very random timing, that the – I forget what the general ant's name was, but the first ant he meets his name was Gamergate. And I didn't know until discussion from this episode started that Gamergate is a kind of ant. And I thought, wow, this is like so timely and so unusual for Adventure Time to put like a pop culture reference into the show. But as it turns out, they didn't. A controversial one, but right. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah. It turns, it I'm glad you brought that up because I noticed that too, and I didn't know that was a type of van either. That's crazy. Man. Yeah, like this episode was drawn and recorded probably like ten months ago, so had nothing to do. Crazy. But yeah, really interesting stuff. I don't. I didn't look it up. What's the significance of the butter and snakes? Is there oh, any- I've. I have no idea. I just think something ridiculous. No, no, no. They said, they said, after Finn fell, I didn't pick this up the first time I watched it. I caught it the second time. It wasn't supposed to be butter and snakes. It was supposed to be a flashlight and snacks. But they, but on the surface, they always get it wrong. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's just a misunderstanding by the surface dwellers. You're supposed to bring a flashlight and some snacks, but they send you down there with a, with butter and snakes. That's wonderful. I, yeah. no, I, I knew it had to have, it was too specific. To be an accident, but I never looked it up what it was. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I only caught that. It's like the very first thing, because you know what it is. He goes, "I'm Colonel Gamergate," and then you're so caught up on the fact that he says Gamergate, and then he mentions yeah. the the butter and the snakes and the snacks. So there you have it, Kevin. Why don't you talk to us about the Kula? Sure thing. So the Fire Kingdom is cooled down, and the, it's causing to suck the life force out of its people. So the Flame Princess has to do something, so she gathers her family, her brothers, and her aunt to discuss what to do. And nothing really sounds good, and then her older brother has a uh, crazy idea that says to blow up the Candy Kingdom, because sugar burns very well, and that could help them out. And uh, even though Flame Princess isn't the biggest fan of Princess Bubblegum, she says we need her as an ally right now. And the brother gets a little concerned because they're talking about the destruction of the Candy Kingdom in front of its... uh, ex-member Cinnamon Bun, who's, uh, he's, he's kind of like picking, scratching his nose, and when Flame Princess asks him, what's up, he's like, I'm scratching my nose. She says, you don't have a nose. And he just doesn't really give a response, he just keeps scratching on his face. And, uh, she's gonna go and, and call Flame Princess when, uh, these, like, the steam or, and the rumbling keeps going on, and so Cinnamon Bun rescues the Flame Princess and everyone else gets out of there, and she tells... Uh, cinnamon bun to take her down to where the, like the core of the, of the kingdom is, cause that's where the problems are. And as she gets there, uh, Princess Bubblegum meets up with her. And, F- Flame Princess is being just really catty about it. Like, Princess Bubblegum asks what her name is and she won't tell her, basically saying, look, you're not my friend, I'm just here cause I need your help, we're allies, so on and so forth. And Princess Bubblegum has this thing called the Mondo Meter around her, and it begins to act up in front of this big door. And Flame Princess says that what's behind those doors is none of her business. They're ancient relics of the Fire Kingdom. Strangers aren't allowed inside. But Bubblegum's able to convince her to let her enter anyways, because, well, it's for the well-being of her citizens, and Princess Bubblegum could possibly help her. Though Flame Princess does warn her not to touch anything. And inside this room are the Sleeping Fire Giants, which are basically here to, there to help out the Fire Kingdom in times of crisis. And the, the royal bloodline of the of the Fire Kingdom are the only people who knows about their existence. So she tells us about the, the sleeping fire gods by singing this song. 
And as she's doing this, Prince of Bubblegum goes up to each of these gods and is stealing their geothermic control units inside of them. All the while, Princess, uh, the Flame Princess is unaware because she's singing this song. And uh, as she's ending the song, she notices that one of these control units of a giant is on the ground. And she warns Prince of Bubblegum not to touch it. And Prince of Bubblegum just says, oh, you know, this fell out of the giant. I was going to put it back. And uh, so Prince of Bubblegum's about to walk away, but her bag gets caught on something and rips apart and it reveals that she's been stealing all these geothermic units. So the Flame Princess gets mad and begins to attack her, but she misses and hits one of the giants and it explodes. That gets her even angrier and Bubblegum keeps deflecting her attacks and more of these giants get ex- get uh, to the point of exploding. Um, but eventually they uh, end their fight and uh, because Flame Princess is too weak because water falls on her, and Princess Bubblegum gets caught in an explosion. And Princess Bubblegum, while they're both at the, in this state, she confesses that she was the one who messed up the core temperature of the kingdom purposely to enter the Forbidden Room. And when Flame Princess asked her how she knew about it, we then cut back to Cinnamon Glenn, who's been scratching at his at his face, and he pulls out a hidden camera that's been there this whole time. And, Cinnam- and uh, Flame Princess is really pissed about this, but Princess Bubblegum just says, it's fine, everybody. It's not a big deal. And Flame Princess calls her a bad person, so Princess Bubblegum decides that she can let the one giant remain because she was going to take them all away. She didn't think it was a good idea for these weapons to be at the, the, the Fire Kingdom's disposal. It was too dangerous, so on and so forth. And as they come to the agreement, the Flame Princess tells Princess Bubblegum that her first name is Phoebe, sort of, a, sort of as her way to make amends. And so Princess Bubblegum calls the Ice King, of all people, who has been freezing the core of the Fire Kingdom, and he obliges... And as soon as that's done, the Fire Kingdom kind of comes back to life. Everybody's all full and happy to their fullest extent. And then we go to the Candy Kingdom where we see Princess Bubblegum in her spying room, which is a room of all these televisions spying on every member of the Candy Kingdom. We see one of uh, the Flame Princess and her brother arguing. And then we also see one of Finn and Jake singing a song from Food Chain, which took place earlier in the season, but we have not talked about it yet, but that'll be on next week's episode. And she cuts all the cores to the cameras, and she's no longer spying on people. She closes the door, puts a do not enter sign on it, and that's the end of the episode. Uh, you know, again, we, we talk a lot about Princess Bubblegum being a pretty crummy person, and I think that line about spying on people and not being a big deal kind of proves it. But she kind of changed her ways in the end, so I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about the episode and Princess Bubblegum in particular. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a good episode. What did you think about it, Justin? I liked it too. I mean, I thought it was an important episode. I, I don't want to say that I, I, I like enjoyed the episode as much as others. I enjoyed the, the drama between them. I enjoyed, I actually appreciated the lack of, um, a lot of humor to really, you know, cut at its core two characters that may learn to trust each other, but will never like really like each other because they're just, their history is, uh, so bitter and so sort of rooted in each other's problems, which is her being dangerous and, 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 uh, Princess Bubblegum needing to protect her kingdom, needing, having to protect that kingdom. And of course, never experiencing freedom, Flame Princess, until she had to take it for herself from her father. That's, that's all rooted in choices that Princess Bubblegum made, you know, a long time ago. So it was cool seeing that play out and, I mean, you certainly can't. I mean, there are times where you look at Princess Bubblegum and say, what well, some of the choices she makes are monstrous. But she sort of reminds 
why I'm a huge fan of Scott Summers in comic books. And it's that Scott Summers doesn't care about cool guy points. He doesn't care about, like, doesn't really even care about, like, niceties or things like that. Um, he'll do whatever he has to do to to succeed whatever his mission is. Whatever he's trying to do, whatever whatever the, the aim is, he'll do whatever it takes and is unconcerned with reactions to it. Uh, very, very strong in those convictions. That's the way Bubblegum is. It's a very much take it or leave it. And in this episode... It's it's never been more gray because her actions are just in, in not only the actions themselves, but in the monitoring itself is fairly despicable. But it's it's hard to argue with her wanting to, to keep her people safe. What about you, Brad? You you seem to maybe be the most critical of Princess Bubblegum out of all of us. Yeah, I thought this episode was uh, mainly there to be character rehabilitation for Bubblegum, uh, which I liked. It made me the one thing this episode definitely made me think is that we've learned all the secrets about bubblegum that we're going to learn. I think we have a very full picture of her now. She has been around for a very long time. In that time, she's become very cynical. She's very, she worked really hard for a very long time to build this kingdom and make it safe for her people. And I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to, she's a helicopter mom. And now she has to learn to sort of let go and, and this creation of hers, let it sort of just be, and grow on its own, and in doing so, she can start to make friends. And I thought this episode was a lot about getting older for both Bubblegum and for Flame Princess. Uh, Flame Princess learns to trust, and Bubblegum learns to sort of let go, and in doing so, she can make new friends. And I thought it was really interesting. I liked it a lot, and I and I think that the final f- Flame nuclear bomb guy is going to come back into play at some point. Yeah, I think there's way more. I, I disagree about the the bubblegum thing. I think there's a lot more left in in her history uh, that is going to be explored that that shape. I, I think there's a lot you can do to really shape her her convictions. And uh, I, I think there, I, I really do think there's there's just there's plenty more they can do and show and they will at some point kind of fully explore. I, I don't know if we'll get like a full episode of just her throughout her time there and why she's so committed to what she's committed to i will say this though there's you know we talked about the past since we're on the subject of bubblegum we talked about some of the controversy revolving around the dynamic of her relationship with marceline thanks to another tv show on cartoon network that may not be as big as an issue as we thought it was what do you mean for the first time i I mean i don't know i don't know if they made reference to it or not but on uh clarence the not the main character, but the side character Jeff, the sort of fastidiously clean guy, uh, he has two moms that are like loving and parents, and not it's not like a thing that they ignore. Um, so I'm not saying that that makes it that you know that obvious that it, it's it's something they could explore, but the concept of having gay, lesbian, transgender, whatever you whatever you want to say. That door is not like a tight shut door at Cartoon Network. That much is clear. I don't think that they're going to stop using Bubblegum as an interesting character. I just think this sort of helps us fully realize why she is the way she is. I I, I think, especially since they revealed out loud off the show that Marcelina Bubblegum officially dated in the past, that and that uh, they could go back to that relationship in the future. And I think that if you watch Princess Day, 
you sort of get the vibe that um, that the two of them are, are are starting to get close again. And there are the I, we're going to talk about the comics in just a minute, but there's a lot going on in the comic books, especially in the um, um, what's it called the what are they called back issues, backup stories, and the backup stories that that put Bubblegum and Marceline very close together. Right. Uh, but that's very cool. I think that Clarence is doing that. I didn't know that. That's that's awesome. Um, anything else about this one? I don't think so. I think that's it. Other than is it, I don't want to say it's like the least humorous episode, but there was no. My, uh, I don't. I don't think it's least. There's just like a long. I just think there's a long sort of tense scene. But the beginning of the episode's hilarious. I thought like with the that is the way, true. There is a lot of yeah. Boy, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, like all the stuff with the little brother is really funny. Yeah. And the uh, the the aunt. Uh, yeah, is, she she is not smart. <laughs> no, the yeah the the first I'd say the first act of the episode was was quite funny. I really like Cinnamon Bun. Oh right, you meant why? Just because his nose is disgusting. <laughs> I just like the more like I go back and watch some episodes, I forget just like how funny he is. Like I forget that he's there just to kind of be like the village idiot, and he plays it so well, or they write him to play it so well, I guess. I, I will tell you one thing that I, I hope I misread in this episode. After Red Throne, I thought Cinnamon Bun was going to be a little bit more with it, and he sort of seemed to be totally reverted back to being an idiot. Yeah, I thought that too. I'm You know, but I, I guess not. But he, but I, but I will say, I mean, he still served his purpose. He still is looking after the Flame Princess and rescued her and brought her to safety, so he wasn't a complete throwaway or, or completely reverted back to his character. He's still on the ball with his duties, as it were. Right, but he was doing that before he got the flame to the face. I think it has to do with capacity. I think he has a higher threshold for for intelligence, uh, but I still think there's still that little doughy bit uh, of cinnamon bun, even though he's fully cooked, uh, that isn't, that's still not quite there. I'm Maybe sure we'll go back happens. to it. Yeah. All right, let's shift gears. Uh, actually, let's not shift gears just yet. Uh, Kevin, you got a couple of snails to tell us about. That's right, I do. Uh, so the snails for these episodes in Dentist, uh, he's in one of those underground pockets when Finn leaves the Queen Ant's office and heads to the mess hall to meet with Tiffany. And the cooler, uh, the snail's behind some of the steam coming out of the ground when CB runs away with Flame Princess to save her. And that's that's it. That's all the snails for this week. There's only two. Yeah, only two episodes to do. We've got a couple of guest voices, and I have to make a correction to a guest voice from before. Uh, anyway, in Dentist, Lucy Lawless plays the Queen Ant, and in um, The Cooler, Brody Stevens replaces Dee Bradley Baker as the voice of Flame Princess's older brother. So that's interesting, I thought. And um, Wait, that was Brody Stevens? This time, yeah. That's so weird, because when I went to the wiki... The Wikipedia page, and it still said D. Bradley Baker. My brain went, nope, Brody Stevens. Has yeah. to be. I know that voice anywhere. Uh, okay, don't. I feel slightly less insane now. Continue. Yeah. So, so when they introduced the character in Jake Suit, it was D. Bradley Baker, and this time around, it was Brody Stevens. Uh, I, I, I think I got that because I just got that from Twitter because I was watching, just reading Adam Muto's. Twitter, and he mentioned that Brody Stevens was the voice of, um, was a voice in the episode. So I d- did some deeper research, and that's what I found out. Uh, Brody and, Stevens is great. If I if I can just mention that once, right? Just, well, also great. Uh, another great comedian who I think doesn't get enough respect and didn't get his name up on the um, on the Adventure Time Wikipedia was Jonah Ray, who played the hillbilly bee in Breezy. 
Uh, so I didn't, I didn't mention him last week when we, or a few weeks ago when we talked about Breezy, but I, I want to make an addendum to that episode and I mention that now. So the Adventure Time Wiki is not infallible. That's all the guest voices. And now, since we're out of episodes, it, it's time we talk about the comic book. Reading, boo. Kevin, you told me you blew through these things. I did. I did blow through it. So let's, first I'm, I'll just run down. This is how we're going to do it, I think, from now on or at least how we're going to try when it works. We're going to talk about the comic not in terms of volumes or one issue. We're going to talk about in terms of stories. So the first four issues of the Adventure Time comic book make up one story. I'm going to run those down right now. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about the backup stories, which are released in the issues, and they're also, uh, as, the vo- as the trade paperbacks come out, they're released uh, in their own master giant thing of of shorts which i which i saw at at, um forbidden planet the other day it's a pretty cool book but i don't know we'll figure that out but anyway i think each episode of where where it works we'll talk about a couple episodes and we'll talk about a comic book story or two so let me just real quick run down the first the first story it actually starts with an origin story for the intro of the television show where jake has a camcorder and uses stretchy powers to record the intro, and then leaves the, the camcorder on the shelf in the treehouse before he fist bumps with Finn, which I thought was a pretty cool thing to do. And then we shift to the Lich, or rather the snail-possessed Lich, which puts this episode in the middle of Season 3. Uh, the snail goes into this bag of holding, uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the super geekiest of terminology, bags of holding are bags that are... Um, essentially unlimited in size on the inside, but look like a bag on the outside. So the snail goes in, and then the snail comes out, and he's no longer possessed by the lich, and then the lich himself comes out and grabs the bag and starts sucking all of Ooh into the bag. Uh, and we find out that his plan is to suck all, like I said, suck all of Ooh into the bag and then throw it into the sun. He runs by Finn and Jake, uh, who try to stop him, but he's very, obviously he's very strong, and they get sucked into the bag before just when they realize that the candy kingdom has been sucked into the bag so now they're in the bag of holding and there's just sand everywhere and they run into this candy person called dessert princess sorry desert princess but they think she should be called dessert princess because she's a candy person and she sort of uh makes it seem like she doesn't remember where she came from and the reason that she's desert princess is because she's really good at molding sand into whatever she wants um, but she has memories, her last memory is actually from, like, thousands of different perspectives, as if when she came into the bag, all of these different beings were mushed into one and became her, sort of implying that she is all of the candy people, but I'll come back to that. So she and Finn and Jake try to think of ways to get out of the bag, uh, but meanwhile, um, things are going on outside of the bag, including, uh, specifically, uh, the lich sucking up um, parts of the Ice Kingdom. So the Ice King uh, tries to attack the Lich and ends up in the bag. And then the same thing happens to Marceline and Princess Bubblegum. They end up in the bag. But the Marceline fight with, with the Lich was a little bit more involved. In any event, um, Marceline and Bubblegum end up pretty far away from Desert Princess Finn and Jake, but the Ice King lands right near them, and the four of them have a picnic together uh, until they realize that they're really just wasting a lot of time. Lumpy Space Princess also gets sucked in and ends up with Finn and Jake and Ice King and Desert Princess. And when Finn and Jake realize that they can't go up to get out of the bag or to the sides to get out of the bag, they decide to dig through the sand to get out of the bag. 
So they all do that, and they get to, they finally find the edge of the bag, and they punch it, but then Finn and Jake get sucked into it, and Lumpy's Space Princess assumes that Finn and Jake are dead. So after a voyage at sea, where Bubblegum insists that Marceline um, transform into a bat and use her wings to be the sail, uh, Marceline and Bubblegum come upon Ice King, Desert Princess, and LSP, and are told that Finn and Jake are dead. But Finn and Jake, in fact, are not dead. They're outside the bag, and they try fighting the Lich, but just end up getting sucked back into the bag. But then they come up with a plan where Desert Princess will turn, will make a bunch of sand clones of Finn and Jake to distract the Lich, while Marceline and Ice King fight the Lich and Finn as well. And Jake will use his stretchy powers to become sort of a zip tie that'll get caught in the new rip in the bag, between the new rip in the bag and the opening hole of the bag, and rip the bag open. And that's what they do. And all of this comes to Finn as an epiphany when he remembers meeting Abraham Lincoln on Mars in the past, um, which is a reference to the pilot episode, which we'll talk about next week, insisting that he have confidence in, it, in himself, and he decides that if they all have confidence in themselves and work together, they'll be able to defeat the Lich. So anyway, they do that. They defeat, they, the Lich flies off towards the sun. Uh, the bag of holding is ripped open, and there's sand all over Ooh. But um, as we saw in Sons of Mars, there's a giant chunk of Earth missing. So, and they and and it becomes obvious that all this sand that that chunk of Earth was in the bag of holding the whole time. So Finn uh, wants to fill the hole with all the sand, but he has to find Desert Princess so that she can turn all the sand into clones of herself and jump in the hole. Uh, she does this, but then all the clones of her decide that they have a crush on Finn and they want to kiss. But to kiss all these clones would take forever, so Finn doesn't know what to do. So all the clones combine and make one giant desert princess sand clone. Uh, that kisses Finn, and then it jumps into the hole, and all of Ooh, and all of Earth is one big sphere again. And that's it. That's the first, the first story. Uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was a really good, kind of intense way to start. It was funny. It introduced the, the pace of how the comic would work, where there's story and then in the margins or not the margins on the at the bottom of every page not every page but many pages uh there'd be little messages from the author um the writer of of the comics a guy named ryan north so and they're they're pretty funny they're just like sort of like director's commentary and i like that the lich was involved because it made the comic feel important right off the get um what do you think kevin i agree with you on all those points uh ryan north does not write for the show does he no, just the comic. Okay. Then I have to give him major kudos because I think every character in this comic was represented really well. Like, nobody felt like they were off base or different from their television counterpart. I think he nailed everybody. All of their dialogue came off really authentic and like something you would expect all the characters to say. Um, again, I, I, I breezed through it. I really enjoyed the story. It's, it's obviously a, a pretty easy read. Because it is it is for children, but it's not like dumbed down for kids. Just like the show, it's something you can read and not feel like this is a children's book. Why am I reading this? But it's it's certainly another enjoyable Adventure Time story contained in these episodes. And I thought the the breaks in issues without the stories made sense. A lot of them were really good cliffhangers. I was like on the last page, they kind of had a LSP in her LSP way kind of recapping what's what's happened or what's coming up in the next issue and what's happened in that issue. That was really amusing. And all the stuff at the bottom of the page I thought was was really worthwhile, either added to the story or kind of gave you some insight into the author and was it was generally very amusing. So 
we're off to a, a, a bang up start with this comic. I'm super excited to read what what else is next. Justin, what do you think about this initial arc? I thought it was okay. I mean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I didn't love it, to be quite honest. Um, I didn't, I, I don't have anything, like, truly against it. I don't like that style, uh, of writing little notes at the bottom of pages or notations within comics because I don't know what order to read this stuff in. And if you're telling me to go back through and read it again for your little notes, um, no thanks. So that's just a personal preference. I don't like that. I had to just completely ignore it after a while because it just kind of broke up the flow of, of reading and enjoying these things, especially considering that I was at, at times I'd read it to Danica and it, that it just didn't, uh, I, I, I don't know. It, she got kind of bored with it after, um, I'd say the second issue. Uh, she was just like, meh, and wasn't really interested in, in hearing about it again, despite me, you know, doing all the voices and, being, uh, you know, kind of doing it with gusto. And after I was finished with it, I didn't really go see, because I thought there was a volume two, or maybe there wasn't. I didn't really go looking for it. Um, not, again, I, I didn't hate it by by any means. I just, uh, I, I didn't super enjoy it. Well, what did you think about character representation? Wait, uh, did actually, you feel it was authentic? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fairly authentic. Uh, I don't think... I think that's always tough to go from a medium where, like animation, where it's so heavily voice-driven, and now you're saying this is so heavily art-driven, but it's already art-driven. It's just really, like, segmenting from comics to, uh, from cartoons to comics is just saying you'll like it just as much without the voices, and I don't think that's true, so maybe that's a barrier for me, but uh I thought it was... Okay, I didn't think it was. Uh, again, I, I didn't. There's no, there was no glaring things to maybe go. Whoa, that's not that character. But it just, I don't know. It just didn't capture my fancy, I guess. Uh, I, I will say in the comics defense that it's very easy to ignore the notes if you don't want to read them because they're written very faintly. And I, and I actually get, I, I don't think that you're off base there. I sometimes get to the point where I just, I'm like, I'm just not going to read the notes anymore. Uh, if I'm if I'm reading a bunch of the comics at once, right? No, I, I actually didn't notice them at first. That's how faint they were. But I guess it's one of those things where if you don't like them, they can easily be ignored. and You don't miss anything. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I also uh, that's interesting. You said that about um about Danica kind of losing interest. I wonder then if for kids it's better structured as a monthly book than it is as a trade. Like maybe to them it's 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 easier to get the more digestible month by month piece of the story as opposed to sitting down and reading all of the story at once. I treated Sorry. it that way. I mean, I, I did it one story at a time, um, and by and and I spaced it out a bunch too. By the third one, I was I just couldn't kind of I couldn't get her interested in reading it, so she wasn't uh, wasn't really feeling it. I do think there's a lot to be said for voices, in, in large part because I, I just watched this um, special. I, I don't I think it might be on the season one DVD or, or maybe a different season DVD, where um, Penn Ward talked about how annoying voices are on cartoons so much and Adventure Time, that's why Adventure Time goes out and gets all these guest voice stars and you know, does so much work with their current voice cast because they want a show that doesn't feel like it picks up the bad tropes of all the cartoons that were sort of like hackneyed and are hackneyed. Right, I mean, all the voices and and the characters and things, and I'll say this too, the performances themselves because it took me a long time to realize that, uh, 
the problem with the, the, where the Simpsons really kind of went off the rails for me was that uh, the voice acting what it lost that not only did it lose that energy but they just lost the physically as they aged lost the ability to do some characters or struggled to do some characters that it just that that spark was gone and it made me think that's really a part of uh, voice acting is just having that not only that affinity for that character but being in an environment where you, where you can that fosters that and that's I think what what makes a lot of what Adventure Time does and more to the point the Batman animated series was another series that I think of when I think of when they take care of their voices and the process is as important as anything else because um, they did all those voices in a room together they didn't like record them and then that was that they recorded those all together um, and I think there's a chemistry there and, and just like fostering that I think it really shows up in the product this isn't about this so I'm not going to get too into it but I actually watched a new episode of The Simpsons last Sunday and I decided that the reason that I think the show is bad now is not because it's not really voice driven but because I remember The Simpsons used to more or less be based in reality and it is just so not that anymore and yeah it, it's hard for any show I think that's Adventure Time got lucky because they're kind of working in reverse. They started in this sort of wacky anything goes universe, but as they've kind of rigidly defined certain things, it's allowed them to build drama off of it. And, yeah, uh, but the only rule that they had in the beginning, the only rule that the Adventure Time team had in the beginning was that everything had to make sense physically. Like if there's magic, there's magic that's fine, but like Finn's backpack, unless there's an ex- explanation, couldn't have like a tiger in it. Right. And, and right. Finn's eyes would never bulge out of his head and stick out like, like Roger Rabbit, because that's just not... As much as Adventure Time is fantastical, it's still going to operate in a way that, that makes sense. In cartoons and sitcoms, the, the thing that turns a character into a caricature is just time. It just... It, it, you hit a certain point, and you run out of things to do with the character, so they just start hitting all the notes that, you, that were in little doses before, and is now the entire makeup of the character. So, uh, yeah, not necessarily though, because if you look at like Parks and Recreation, they were caricatures in season one and then they became fully fledged characters because they realized that the caricature thing wasn't working. I mean, it, there's a lot of things that go into it, I think. I do think time is an enemy to anything, but. Yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, um, yeah, in this, I, I just, I don't know, because the voices are so good and, and the, they feel like they're characters, I can't, um, like, I don't know if this happened to you, but I can't, like, Bender is different for me now. Like I don't think of John DiMaggio as Bender. I think of him as Jake. I can't not. Um, it's uh, in, in my head. He sort of uh, supplanted one character for another, which I didn't think was possible because it's such a, a distinct, amazing character. But that's that's what happened. I want to see them do an animated short with those two together. They have, you've seen the clip though, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's all you're gonna get. I think. Damn it. I just saw that the fucking big, not Big Bang, the 22 Jump Street cast is going to, the 23 Jump Street is going to take place in the Men in Black universe. I did hear that. Sometimes things just don't need to get mashed up. I get that these are different things, but I don't know. I just, I saw that and I just thought the studio system is getting too incestuous. But he did sing, just, just to go back to the point, I think on a radio show they did get him to sing bacon pancakes as Bender. <laughs> oh, I'm so sure that's, that's on that's YouTube somewhere. somewhere. 
See, that's that's something fun they could have done when Futuron was on the air, like Bender's just making pancakes and singing that song. That would have been fun. That's true. Yeah. A couple things just from the story of this comic, and then I want to talk about one more bit. Oh, I just it is on YouTube. I just found Bender singing bacon pancakes. A couple cool things. When the Lich was sucking up some of the land, like the, he made a um, sort of a big chasm, and you could see where how the fossilized history of Earth, you could see it being like ooh on top, Earth in the middle, and then ancient prehistoric times beneath, which I thought was a nice bit. Uh, there was a bit where Bimo got sucked into the bag, and the footnotes said that Bimo had his own adventure in the bag, and that he and that the, and that Ryan North wanted to see some fan fiction of Bimo's story. So I wonder if anyone ever wrote any. There were a lot of inside jokes in the comic that you're not going to get in the show, like when Marceline bumps into Bubblegum for the first time in the bag, and hears her voice before she sees her face. She says. Is that you, Hinden? Which is the voice of Princess Bubblegum, her first name. And then, and also when Finn goes to Mars, or has a flashback of going to Mars and seeing Abraham Lincoln, um, the pilot episode of Adventure Time is, is completely not can- non-canonical. Much more so, I think, than anything else that Adventure Time has ever done. So it's interesting that that was directly referenced in the book. And then they actually, I know because I've read ahead, that they'll reference that pilot again. And that, I think, is a good segue to the fact that we'll be talking about non-canonical episodes next week. We've got four, so... Well, you know, actually, you know what? We're talking about all these voices reminded me of the comic. There's the uh, the part where Marceline and uh, Finn have to rap this song to sort of distract and defeat the Lich. I want to hear that, like, actually hear that song. And that's something that obviously would have been much better in an episode than it would have in a comic, but I guess... Just have to use your imagination. Yeah, but some things I think might be better in the comic. Like, I liked how long the battle burn thing that Finn and Jake were doing to the Lich in the beginning. That was able to go on longer in the comic because in the show it would have gotten kind of tedious. At different times, it's been said that the comic takes place in the same universe as the show. And it has also been said that the comic takes place with the same characters in a slightly tweaked alternate universe of the show. How do you guys think about the comic in that regard? I thought about this as I was reading it, and I feel like there was a lot of times where I was like, oh yeah, this definitely takes place in the universe because of X, Y, or Z. I don't think it can exist in the same universe, especially if the writers are different. I think just logistically speaking, that would be really tough to manage. Unlike, say, the Marvel Universe, which is doing its damnedest to get the show's movies and comics all synced up, because it's under one banner, they can do that, uh, or, or at least work their way towards that goal, where I think you have these people at Adventure Time working for Cartoon Network, and then the Adventure Time comic being published by Kaboom, it's a little bit tougher to get that to sync up. So, I think just in that way it does, but as for what's in the story itself... Um, I guess, you know, it's it, it sort of, I don't know if we ever really get that explanation as to, well, I guess the snail, does the snail become disinfected in the show? I don't remember. Or is this okay. kind of the way they do that? I'm glad you asked that because I wrote down a few notes about that. The snail in the middle of season four does become inexplicably disinfected. So the snail goes into the bag and releases a lich, putting this during season three in an alternate dimension question mark, or is this how the lich escaped and then possessed Billy? The snail was no longer possessed in the show after in your footsteps in season four. That doesn't sync up totally because in the comic, Finn is still using the root sword here, which he ditched at the end of season three. So the the timing's off. Okay. 
So the show is like a slightly, I mean, the, the comic is just a slightly off version of the universe in the show. And we get to watch like something happen that was slightly different. And so we, this is the universe going off in two separate directions. No, they are unrelated. Well, that's just not what anyone who's behind either has said. I didn't get any of that. I'm saying the people behind the comic and the people behind the show have both said that it is related in some way. They, or they said it is related in some way. Yeah, not that it's necessarily... When it first started, Ryan North would say, I wanted to get your, your thoughts first, and so now I'm glad that I have them before I said before I came out with what these guys actually said. Ryan North at first would say, this takes place in the same universe, these are the same characters doing the same things, and I'm talking to Penn Ward all the time about what's coming up in the show, so I can incorporate it into the comic as, and make as few mistakes as I can. Obviously that ended up being too difficult, and Jess Moynihan came out later and said, it's an alternate universe. Just imagine something slightly tweaked because we can't be thinking about running the show off the comic and vice versa. Right. I mean, that's sort of, I mean, that's the way I feel about it is that you can't, uh, it's like the Marvel universe. Like when you think about connecting one thing to another and calling one thing canon and another thing not, it really just comes down to benefits. What does it benefit this thing? from being in the same universe as this other thing. And I've never thought comic books and the TV shows or anything like that, there's never really a good reason for them to exist. I mean, you say, you know, in a tertiary sense, but in my mind, you'll never be able to convince me. You could do a show where you do an episode and then you do an issue of a comic book and then you do an episode and it's all based on, like, you stagger it and I still won't consider them canon. Like it's it's just it doesn't work for me. This idea of bouncing around mediums, like why? I don't I don't really understand the purpose of it, and why wouldn't you just sort of let someone tell their own story to sell um, more comics and be let's take, people more shows? Let's take See, the business I, aspect out of it for a second, though, because I think you bring up a good point, or you that brings up a question for me, uh, which is, what is the point of the Adventure Time comic book to you if it's not canonical at all? And would you read it if it weren't for Flooping the Pig? I, I mean, I read it before. Um, we, I read it before we ever had a concept of Flooping the Pig. I think that's how far back I read it. Um, maybe not, but I feel like I, it was definitely before then. Well, um, sure, but I mean, like, would you continue? Like, if we never started the, sh- the, the podcast... And you said, you know, you looked for a volume two, but weren't sure. And then you just left it alone. Do you think you would have ever have gone back to it just to get more adventure time in your life? Yeah, for, for not only curiosity's sake, but just because I like the characters and I like I especially now because we're in an era where it's not like just one guy's vision. That guy's vision is now uh, a shared vision amongst others with different leadership. So it doesn't feel tethered to – I don't feel tied to just this uh, this creator and this vision. I, it's kind of easier to let let go a little bit of that idea and just see people explore in this universe. Um, so I've never had a problem with that. I've never had a problem with any of that type of thing. But in terms of relative interest, I'll answer it this way. I have never been that interest in, interested in what-if comics. I have a buddy uh, who – he, it's his favorite thing, you know, like, cause he's always asking me questions like, so what actually, he asked me at least once a year, tries to, to suck me into an actual conversation of what if the Hulk fought Superman for real, like for real reveals. 
what would happen. And I just tell him, I don't care. I'm not, this isn't, there isn't like a, you know, you can't put point at something like that is the definitive version of, you can say it's your own personal, but, um, unless you just want to stop enjoying things, uh, then I, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't say this is the actual, just enjoy stories. Like if someone does a, writes a Hulk versus Superman thing, go enjoy that. Tell me how much you love it. But this idea of defining it as this, uh, you know, from one vision, one perspective with one absolute answer, uh, I just, I've never gotten a whole lot of value out of that. So I, I would like to see them. I would be more interested if it was non-canonical and it was just, and it was just a good story and it was good writing. Uh, I, I'd be more interested than if it was, you know, if they, if it was tethered to the TV show. Gotcha. Well, I, I like this story arc a lot, and I think the TV show works with or without it. Really, it actually works better without it because it's never referenced on the show. But um, I, I guess that about does it for this. We're going to talk a lot more about canonical versus non-canonical next week because that's the that'll make up the the bulk of the show. In the meantime, plug your stuffs. That's me. I'm Justin J. Houston on Twitter. And I also do a podcast. I do this one. You're listening to called Flubin the Pig, and uh, but I do another one called Viva Chikara. It's on pwponderings.com, and it's all about Chikara Pro Wrestling promotions, and they're fun. I do it with Kevin. Kevin, what else do you do? I'm also on Twitter at kford13. Uh, you could also follow Pro Wrestling Ponderings, which hosts this podcast at pwponderings on Twitter. You can also download the episodes directly from the website at pwponderings.com. But of course, the best way to get them is, is to sub- that is to subscribe to iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Search for PWP podcasts, and you will find them there. You get the episodes delivered to your mobile device or whatever uh, you want when they come out. And usually, they come out a little bit earlier if you do it that way. And uh, but of course, if you are downloading them manually from PWPonderings.com, check out all the other stuff on the website, including our high spots and Amazon banners to buy things from. And thanks for doing that, Brad. Garoongate on Twitter. Burger Weekly on everything for hamburger stuff. Thanks for flipping the pig. I flipped the pig. Um, do you guys want to talk about Adventure Time? I guess. No, no interest. Shit. <laughs> I like made all these plans so we could talk about it and